Hello, and welcome to the First Person Drunk Podcast. Uh, today, we have Danny's Own Story by Don Marquis, and today we are up to Chapter 17. As always, First Person Drunk is brought to you by me, Miles Tabor, by Delicious Whiskey, and by the public domain. Any errors in the text are the fault of one of those three things. And as with previous weeks, a quick warning. Uh, Danny's Own Story is a turn-of-the-century book of American literature. And as and ter- by turn-of-the-century, I, of course, mean the 20th century, because uh, we're currently in the turn of the other century. Anyhow, you got that. I just said it because I thought it would be funny. But you know what? It wasn't. Uh, like I was saying... Turn of the century, American fiction. Uh, they were there were issues regarding race back then. You're aware of that too. I don't need to tell you that. You're smarter than that. But some of the language in the book is not acceptable by today's standards. Just bear in mind. Not only is it early American fiction, it is also satire. Uh, If you have any comments or you just want to open up a discussion about it, I invite you to do so. Come on along to the First Person Drunk podcast page on Facebook. uh, Start a conversation about it. That's the best thing I can think of. Other than that, enjoy Chapter 17 of Danny's Own Story, presented by First Person Drunk. We got to Bairdstown early enough. But we didn't go to work there. We wasted all that day. They was something working in the doctor's head he wasn't talking about. I supposed he was getting cold feet on the whole proposition. Anyhow, he just sat around the little tavern in that place and done nothing all afternoon. The weather was fine, and we set out in front. We hadn't sat there more than an hour till I could tell we was being noticed by the blacks, not out open and above board. But every now and then, one or two or three would pass along down the street and lazy about and take a look at us. They pretended they wasn't noticing, but they was. The word had got around. And there was a feeling in the air I didn't like at all. Too much caged-up excitement among the niggers. The doctor felt it, too. I could see that. But neither one of us said anything about it to the other. Along toward dusk, we takes a walk. There was a good-sized crick at the edge of that little place, and on it an old-fashioned water mill. Above the mill, a little piece, was a bridge. We crossed it and walked along a road that followed the creek bank close for quite a spell. It wasn't much of a town, something betwixt a village and a settlement, although they was going to run a branch of the railroad over to it before very long. It had had a chance to get a railroad once, years before that, but it had said then it didn't want no railroad. So, until lately... Every branch built through that part of the country grinned very sarcastic and gave it the go-by. There was considerable woods standing along the creek, and around a turn in the road we come on to Sam, all of a sudden talking with another nigger. Sam was just a-laying it off to that nigger, but he kind of hushed as we come nearer. 
Down the road, quite a little piece, was a good-sized wooden building that never had been painted and looked like it was a big barn. Without knowing it, the doctor and me had been pinting ourselves right toward Big Bethel. The nigger with Sam, he yells out when he sees us, Glory be! Here they comes! Here they comes now! And he throwed up his arms and started on a lope up the road toward the church, singing out every ten or fifteen yards. A little knot of niggers came out in front of the church when they heard him coming. Sam, he stood his ground and waited for us to come up to him, kind of apologetic and sneaking, looking about something or other. What kind of lies have you been telling these niggers, Sam? says the doctor, very sharp and short and mad-like. Sam, he digs a stone out in the road with the toe of his shoe and kind of grins to himself, still looking sheepish. But he says he opinionates he been telling them nothing at all. I don't know how come they get all them nigger notions in they fool head, Sam says. But they all waiting down inside the church door. Some of the most faithful and the most prideful ones of the big Bethel congregation been there for the last hour waiting and watching, spite of the fact that regular meeting ain't going to be called twelve out of supper. The bishop, he died too. They got some of these here coal aisle lamps dotted inside the church door, and they been keeping on them lighted daytimes and nighttimes for two days now, case they say they ain't gone for to be caught napping when the bridegroom cometh. Yes, sir, there's ten of these here virgins there, five of them sleeping and five of them watching, and a taking turns at hit, and maybe that how come three or four of they best young colored men's been projecting around there all out of noon, a helping them that's awaiting till the bridegroom cometh. We seen a little knot of them down the road there in front of the church, gathering around the nigger that had been with Sam. They all starts toward us, but one man steps out in front of them all and turns towards them and holds his hands up and waves them back. They all stops in their tracks. Then he turns his face towards us and comes slow and solemn down the road in our direction, walking with a cane and moving very dignified. He was a couple of hundred yards away. But as he came closer, we gradually seen him plainer and plainer. He was a big man and stout and dressed very neat in the same kind of rig as white bishops wear with one of these white collars that buttons in the back. I suppose he was coming on to meet us alone, because no one was fitting for to give us the first welcome but himself. Well, it was all darn foolishness, and it was hard to believe it could all happen, and there ain't so many places in this here country it could happen. But, for all of it being foolishness, when he come down the road toward us, so dignified and solemn and slow, I catched myself for a minute feeling like we really had been elected to something and was going to take office soon. And Sam, 
as the bishop come closer and closer, got to jerking and twitching with the excitement that he had been keeping in. And yet, all the time, Sam knowed it was dope and works and not faith that had made him spot it that away. He stops, the bishop does, about ten yards from us, and looks us over. Ah, yo, the gentleman known to dis your sinful generation by the style and the entitlement of Dr. Hartley Kirby, he asked the doctor, very ceremonious and grand. The doctor gave him a look that wasn't very encouraging, but he nodded to him. Will yo dismiss your servant in order that we can hold converse? and communion in the midst of privacy. The doctor, he nods to Sam, and Sam moses along toward the church. Now then, says the doctor, sudden and sharp, take off your hat and tell me what you want. The bishop's, head goes, the bishop's hand goes up to his head with a jerk before he thought. Then it stops there, while him and the doctor looks at each other. The bishop's mouth opens like he was wondering, but he slowly pulls his hat off and stands there bareheaded in the road. But he wasn't really humble, that bishop. Now, says the doctor, tell me in as straight talk as you've got what all this damned foolishness among you niggers means. A queer kind of look passed over the bishop's face. He hadn't expected to be met just that way, maybe. Whether he himself had really believed in the coming of that there new messiah he had been predicting, I never could settle in my mind. Maybe he had been getting ready to pass himself off for one, before we come along and the niggers all got the fool idea Dr. Kirby was it. Before the bishop spoke again, you could see his craziness and his cunningness both working in his face. But when he did speak, he didn't quit being ceremonious nor dignified. The word has gone forth among the faithful and the pure in heart, he says, that a man has come accredited with signs and with marvels and the power of the spirit for to lay his hand on the sons of Ham, and to make them des the same in color as the other sons of earth. Then that word is a lie, says the doctor. I did come here to try out some stuff to change the color of negro skins, that is all. And I find your idiotic followers are all stirred up and waiting for some kind of a miracle monger. What have you been preaching to them? You know best. Is that all you want to know? The bishop hems and hauls and fiddles with his stick, and then he says, Sir, will this year preparation surely do the work? Dr. Kirby tells him it will do the work all right. And then the bishop, after beating around the bush some more, comes out with his idea. Whether he expected there would be any messiah come or not, he, of course, he knows that the doctor wasn't him. 
but he is willing to boost the doctor's game as long as it boosts his game. He wants to be in on the deal. He wants part of the graft. He wants to get together with the doctor on a plan before the doctor sees the niggers. And if the doctor don't want to keep on with the miracle end of it, the bishop shows him how he could do him good with no miracle attachment, for he has an awful hold on them niggers, and his say-so will sell thousands and thousands of bottles. What he is looking for just now is his little takeout. That was his craftiness and his cunningness working in him. But all of a sudden, one of his crazy streaks come bulging to the surface. It come with a wild, eager look in his eyes. Sir, he cries out all of a sudden, if you can make me white, for God's sakes, do it. Do it. If you does, I gwine to bless you all your days. Yo don't know, no one can guess or comprehend what does being white would mean to me. Lord, Lord, he says, his voice soft-spoken but more eager than ever as he went on and pleading something pitiful to hear. Does think of all the Caucasian blood in me. God knows the nights of my youth I was laid awake twelve the dawn come red in the east a crying out to him only for to be white, just to be white. Don't mind them black, black niggas die. Don't think of them. They ain't worth nothing, no fitting for no fate but what they got. But me? Was done kept me from going to the top, but that one thing, I wasn't white. It air too late now, too late for damn ambitions I'd untrifle with and shove behind me. It's too late for dat. But if I was just to get one little year of it, one little year of being white before I died. And he went on like that shaking and stuttering there in the road like a fit had struck him, crazy as a loon. But he got hold of himself enough to quit talking in a minute, and his cunning come back to him before he was through trembling. Then the doctor says, slow and even, but not severe, You go back to your people now, Bishop, and tell them they've made a mistake about me. And if you can, undo the harm you've done with this messiah business. As far as this stuff of mine is concerned, there's none of it for you, nor for any other negro. You tell them that. There's none of it been sold yet, and there never will be. Then we turned away, and left him standing there in the road, still with his hat off and his face working. Walking back toward the little tavern, the doctor says, Danny, this is the end of the game. These people down here and that half-cracked, half-crooked old bishop have made me see a few things about the Afro-American brother. It wasn't a good scheme in the first place, and this wasn't the place to start it going anyhow. I should have tried the niggers in the big towns. But I'm out of it now and glad of it. What we want to do is get away from here tomorrow, go back to Atlanta and fix up a scheme to rob some widows and orphans or something halfway respectable like that. Well, 
I drew a long breath. I was with Dr. Kirby in everything he'd done, for he was my friend, and I didn't intend to quit him. But I was glad we was out of this, and hadn't sold none of that dope. We both felt better because we hadn't. All them millions we was gonna make, shucks. We didn't neither one of us give a darn about them getting away from us. All we wanted was just to get away from there and not get mixed up with no nigger problems anymore. We eat supper, and we sat around a while, and we went to bed pretty middling early so as to get a good start in the morning. We got up early, but early as it was, the devil had been up earlier in that neighborhood. About four o'clock that morning, a white woman about a half a mile from the village had been attacked by a nigger. There was doubt as to whether she would live, but if she lived, there wasn't no doubt she would always be more or less crazy. For besides everything else, he had beat her insensible, and he had choked her nearly to death. The countryside was up, with guns and pistols looking for that nigger. It wasn't no trouble guessing what would happen to him when they catched him neither. And, says Dr. Kirby when we hear of it, I hope to high heaven they do catch him. They wasn't much doubt they would, either. They was already beating up the woods and bushes, and gangs was riding up and down the roads, and every nigger's house for miles around was being searched and watched. We soon seen we would have trouble getting horses and a rig in the village to take us to the railroad. Many of the horses was being ridden in the manhunt, and most of the men who might have done the driving was busy at that, too. A hotel keeper himself had left his place standing wide open and went out. We didn't get any breakfast, neither. Danny, says the doctor, we'll just put enough money to pay the bill in an envelope on the register here and strike out on Shank's ponies. It's only nine or ten miles to the railroad. We'll walk. But how about our stuff? I asked him. We had two big cases full of sample bottles of that dope, besides our suitcases. Hang the dope, says the doctor. I don't ever want to see it or hear of it again. We'll leave it here. Put the things out of your suitcase into mine and leave that here too. Sam can carry mine. I want to be on the move. So we left, with Sam carrying the one suitcase. It wasn't nine in the morning yet, and we was starting out pretty empty for a long walk. Sam, says the doctor, as we was passing that there big Bethel church, and it showed up there, silent and shabby in the morning, like an old colored man that knows a heap more than he's gonna tell. Sam, were you at the meeting here last night? Yes, sir. I suppose it was a pretty tame affair after they found out their Elisha wasn't coming after all. Sam, he walled his eyes, and then he kind of chuckled. Well, sir, he says, I suspicions the most on em don't know that yet. Doctor asks him what he means. It seems the bishop must have done some thinking after we left him in the road or on his way back to that church. 
They had all begun to believe that their Elashio was on the way to them, and the bishop's credit was more or less wrapped up with our being it. It was true he hadn't started that belief, but it was believed, and he didn't dare to stop it now. For if he stopped it, they would all think he had fell down on his prophetics, even although he hadn't prophesied just exactly us. He was in a tight place, that bishop. But I bet you could always depend on him to get out of it with his flock. So what he told them niggas at that meeting last night was that he brung them a message from Elisha, Sam says, the Elisha that was to come. And the message was that the time was not ripe for him to reveal himself as Elisha onto the eyes of all men. For they had been too much sinfulness and wickedness and walking into the ways of evil right amongst that very congregation and disobedience of the bishop, which was their guide. And he had sent him word, Elisha had, that the bishop was his trusted servant and into the keeping of the bishop was give the power to deal with his people and prepare them for the great day to come. And the bishop would give the word of his coming. He was a box, that bishop was, in spite of his crazy streaks, and he had found a way to make himself stronger than ever with his bunch out of the very kind of thing that would have spoiled most people's graft. They had a big meeting till nearly morning, and the power had hit him strong. Sam told us all about it. But the thing that seemed to interest the doctor and made him frown was the idea that all them niggers around about there still had the idea he was the fella that had been prophesied to come. All except Sam, maybe. Sam had spells when he was real sensible and other spells when he was as bad as the believingest of them all. It was a fine day, and really joyous to be a-walkin'. It would have been a good deal joyouser if we had had some breakfast, but we figured we would stop somewheres at noon and lay in a good, square, country meal. That wasn't such a very thick, settled country, but everybody seemed to know about the manhunt that was going on here, there, and everywhere. People would come down to the roadside as we passed, and gaze after us, or maybe asked us if we knowed whether he had been catched yet. Women and kids, mostly, or old old men, but now and then a younger man, too. We noticed there wasn't no niggers to speak of that wasn't busier than all get-out, working at something or other that day. Now, there is considerable woods in that country yet, though lots has been cut off. But they were sometimes right long stretches where there would be woods on both sides of the road, more or less thick, with underbrush between the trees. We tramped along, each busy thinking his own thoughts, and having a pretty good time just doing that without there being no use of talking. I was thinking that I liked the doctor better for turning his back on all this game just when he might have made some sort of a deal with the bishop and really made some money out of it in the end. He never was so good a businessman as he thought he was, Dr. Kirby wasn't. He always could make himself think he was, but when it come right down to brass tacks, he wasn't. You give him a scheme that would talk well, 
the kind of a josh talk he liked to get off for his own enjoyment, and he would take up with it every time instead of one that had more promise of money to it if it was worked harder. He was thinking of the talk more than he was of the money, mostly, and he was always saying something about art for art's sake, which was plum foolishness, for he never painted no pictures. Well, <clears throat> he never got over being more or less of a puzzle to me, but for some reason or other, this morning, he seemed to be in a better humor with himself. After we had walked a while, then I had seen him in for a long time. We come to the top of one long hill, which it had made us sweat to climb. And without saying nothing to each other, we both stopped and took off our hats and wiped our foreheads and drawed long breaths, content to stand there for just a minute or two and look around us. The road run straight ahead, and dipped down, and then clumb up another hill about an eighth of a mile in front of us. It made a little valley, and just about the middle, between the two hills, a creek meandered through the bottomland. Woods growed along the creek, and along both sides of the road we was traveling. Right nigh the creek, there was another road come out of the woods to the left-hand side and switched into the road we was traveling and used the same bridge to cross the creek by. There was three or four houses here and there with chimbleys built up on the outside of them and blue smoke coming out. We stood and looked at the sight before us and forgot all the troubles we had left behind for a couple of minutes. It all looked so beautiful and peaceful and quiet and homified and nice. Well, says the doctor, after we had stood there a piece, I guess we had better be moving on again, Danny. But just as Sam, who was following along behind us with that suitcase, picks it up and puts it on his head again, there come a sound from a way off in the distance somewheres that made him set it down quick. And we all stops in our tracks and looks at each other. It was the voice of a hound dog. Not so awful loud, but clear and mellow and tuneful and carried to us on the wind. And then in a minute it come again, sharper and quicker. They yells like that when they have struck a scent. As we stood and looked at each other, they come a crackle in the underbrush just to the left of us. We turned our heads that way just as a nigger man give a leap to the top of a rail fence that separated the road from the woods. He was going so fast that instead of climbing that fence and balancing on the top and jumping off, he just simply seemed to hit the top rail and bounce on over, like he had been thrown out of the heart of the woods, and he fell sprawling over and over in the road, right before our feet. He was onto his feet in a second, and for a minute he stood up straight and looked at us, an ashes-colored nigger, ragged and bleeding from the underbrush, red-eyed and with slavers trickling from his red lips, and sobbing and gasping and panting for breath. Under his brown skin, where his shirt was torn open across his chest, 
you could see that nigger's heart a beating. But as he looked at us, they come a sudden change across his face. He must have seen the doctor before, and with a sob he throwed himself on his knees in the road, and clasped his hands and held him out toward Dr. Kirby. Elisha! Elisha! he sings out, rocking of his body in a kind of tune. Reveal yourself! Reveal yourself and help me now! Lord God, Elisha! Beckon for a chariot! Your chariot of fire! Lift me! Lift me! Lift me away from here in a chariot of fire! Uh, the doctor, he turned his head away, and I know the thought working in him was the thought of that white woman that would always be an idiot for life if she lived. But his lips was dumb, and his one hand stretched itself out toward that nigger in the road and made a wiping motion, like he was trying to trying for to wipe the picture of him and the thought of him off in a slate forevermore. Just then, nearer and louder and sharper, with an eager sound like they knowed they almost had him now. Them hounds' voices come ringing through the woods, and with them come the mixed-up shouts of men. Run! yells Sam, waving of that suitcase round his head, for one nigger will always try to help another, no matter what he's done. Run for the, for the branch, get your foots in the water, and fling them off the scent. He bounded down the hill, that red-eyed nigger, and left us standing there. But before he reached the creek, the whole manhunt come busting through the woods. The dogs are straining at their straps. The men was all on foot, with guns and pistols in their hands. They seen the nigger, and they all let out a yell, and was after him. They catched him at the creek, and took him off along that road that turned off to the left. I hand later, he was a member of Bishop Warren's congregation. So, they hung him right in front of Big Bethel Church. We stood there on top of the hill and saw the chase and capture. Dr. Kirby's face was sweating worse than when we first clumbed the hill. He was thinking about that nigger that had pleaded with him. He was thinking also of the woman. He was glad it hadn't been up to him personal right then and there to butt in and stop a lynching. He was glad, for with them two pictures in front of him, he didn't know what he would have chose. Thank heaven, I hear him say to himself, thank heaven that it wasn't really in my power to choose. Thanks for joining us. This has been the First Person Drunk Podcast. Today we had Chapter 17 of Danny's Own Story by Don Marquis, and it was, as always, brought to you by me, Miles Tabor, by the public domain, and by Delicious Whiskey.